How lonely sits the city that once was full of people. How like a widow she has become. She that was great among the nations, she that was a princess among the provinces, has become a vassal. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has no one to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They've become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile with suffering and hard servitude. She lives now among the nations and finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for no one comes to the festivals. All her gates are desolate, her priests groan, her young girls grieve, her lot is bitter. Her foes have become the masters, her enemies they who prosper, because the Lord has made her suffer for the multitude of her transgressions. This is the word of the Lord. In your Bibles, you'll see that the book of Lamentations immediately follows the book of Jeremiah. And some have believed through the centuries that Jeremiah wrote Lamentations because he calls himself the prophet who weeps, and this is a series of poems, five of them, about weeping. Why weeping? Let's turn to one of the history books in the Hebrew Scriptures. The book of Second Kings, chapter 25. King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He burned the house of the Lord, the house of the king, and all the houses of Jerusalem. All the army broke down the walls around the city. The captain of the guard carried into exile the rest of the people who were left in the city. But the captain of the guard left some of the poorest people of the land to be vine dressers and tillers of the soil. Today's best scholars say they believe Jeremiah did not write these poems. In Hebrew, they are poems, and Jeremiah, perhaps a scribe for Jeremiah, do not express Jeremiah's thoughts and sermons in poetic form in any other place. The style of writing seems so very different from what we know about Jeremiah. There is no internal evidence at all, no indication, no claim that he wrote these poems. Instead, our scholars believe it was one or more among those poorest of the poor who didn't get carried away to Babylon, who tried to express their grief in these poems. Let's take a look. How like a widow is the city of Jerusalem. Rabbi Gunter Plout and others say that Jerusalem is called a widow because widows and orphans were the most vulnerable in the society of that time. When the prophets wanted to accuse the people of not being generous, not being kind, not being caring, first on the list, you do not care for your widows and orphans. You do not care for widows and orphans, and if they have no man to fend for them, you know they are absolutely defenseless. They are destitute. And now the whole city has seen such. It's time to weep, to weep. A few years ago, our interfaith workers in our city, led by Nancy Day and our Oklahoma Center for Community and Justice, 
decided that our honoree of the year should be Rabbi Mark Fitzerman, Congregation B'nai Amuna, that Rabbi Fitzerman had done so much to incorporate meaningful dialogue and communication among the religious bodies of our city. I was there for that special occasion. I got to meet Mark's father. He was so proud of his son that day. And a few months later, Mark's father was seriously ill and died. Our Jewish Christian Dialogue group met and asked one of the members of the Jewish community what would be an appropriate way for us to express our sorrow for Mark and his family. And she said, you know that Rabbi Fitzerman is conservative Jew. And that means they do not deal with death the way most of you do. She said, I've been into some of your homes when you've had death. I've been to some of your churches when you've had death. But we do things differently. Already, she said, the hours have been posted when Rabbi Fitzerman would be pleased if people wanted to come to see him. With, when you go, someone will be manning the door. Someone will give you opportunity to sign a book. And you'll walk into a room. There may be 25 chairs in a circle. He will be in one of those chairs. But you are to go in and sit and say nothing unless he speaks to you. Do not feel that he is uncaring. He may nod to you when you enter. But he may choose not to speak. You may stay 10 minutes. You may stay 20, 30 Please do not speak unless someone else speaks to you. When you need to go, you may simply nod to him and leave. He will nod back to you. He will appreciate your having come. But we believe sometimes it hurts too deeply for words. Sometimes it just hurts too much for words. This is a poem about grief enemy has come, and Jerusalem, the temple, the palace, the people, destroyed, devastated. Number two, this poet is very clear that Judah and Jerusalem have sinned, not once, not twice, 400 years. 400 years sometimes faithful to the God of the burning bush, the God of the Ten Commandments, often not faithful, always toying around with their little gods and goddesses of fertility on the side. If their God didn't seem to be producing rain, then why not call on the Baal and Ashtorah, his consort? Yes, they played both sides of the street for 400 years, and finally God has decided to put hands behind the back and let Judah's enemies deal with her. The Reverend Lillian Daniel is clergy in Glen Allen, Illinois. In that part of the country, many clergy wear clerical collars, and she's chosen to do that. She said sometimes that works to one's advantage, sometimes a little easier to get into intensive care units to see some person you need to see. And sometimes, she said, people are not so kind to those who wear the collar. She said a fellow walked up to her the other day and said, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. 
Now she said, I don't see someone whom I know to be a math teacher and walk up and say, I always hated math. Or if I know an English teacher, walk up and say, well, guess what? I choose to split my infinitives and dangle my participles. And yet, she said, there are any number of people who love to find clergy and say, I don't believe in the church and I don't go. Well, the fellow act like he wanted to talk about it. She said, I decided I'd spend a few minutes here. And I asked, well, what is your history? He said, I started out as a Roman Catholic, but I really didn't understand what they were saying, and it seemed irrelevant to me. I went into the army... And one of my buddies was a devout Baptist. And he told me all about it, and I confessed my sins, and I got immersed and saved. But they said, if I danced, I might go to hell. So I didn't want to be a Baptist anymore. When I got out of the army, I met and married an Episcopalian. She said she thought her church might be just right for me. Sort of like the Baptists. Well, a little bit, not too much, but more like the Roman Catholics. I went with her for a while, and then the marriage failed, so I just don't go anywhere. I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. And she said, and so how does that play out for you? He said, well, I get up on Sunday mornings, and I have some breakfast, and I read the Sunday paper. And then I get on my bicycle, and I just start riding, and I see God in the river. I see God in the woods. I see God in nature. She said, I see. Do you see God in cancer? Because cancer is also nature. He got very quiet. And she said, you know why you need religion? Because we talk about sin. And we talk about suffering. We talk about the really hard things in life. What happens when nature runs amok? When nature becomes selfish and self-centered? The way Jesus said, if you keep trying to take life for yourself, you're going to lose it. And if ever you decide to lose your life in the purposes of God and in others, it'll be as abundant and wonderful as you've been promised. Sir, get off your bike come to church. You need the church. Number three. I read all of Lamentations again this week because I knew this first few chapters, the first couple, are not the whole story. need to get to chapter three, point three for me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The chesed Translated here, steadfast love. It is the one word used more than any other in the 39 scrolls of the Hebrew Scriptures to describe the very nature and essence of God. Chesed. Steadfast, never-failing love. That never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Margaret Berberdick has written that she was born second of four daughters. 
She said, we four had the greatest mom in America. She was fun. She was genuine. She was caring. She was loving. We loved her. Our daddy was hardworking to provide for a wife and four daughters, but otherwise he was cold, seemed to be completely unfeeling. As I got older, I remember thinking, how could mom ever have fallen for him? She said he always called me number two. Never in all my growing up years did he call me Margaret. He'd say, Number two, when he wanted a drink of water, he wanted somebody to bring his house shoes. Number two, our mother died, she's written. The first time in our lives that we four had done anything with our dad was to pick out our mother's casket. And after the funeral, we four were talking about our dad how he's showing his age. He's slipping. He needs help. He looks frail. And the other three looked at me, that I was the one who was closest by. Geographically, maybe I could be the one to help him out. She said, I didn't want to help him. I didn't even like him. But they thought I should, and I decided... Maybe I should. I worked around his house, picking things up, doing all the laundry, doing the dishes. He'd slip to the point I'd try to show him how to run this machine or that. Couldn't get it. Could not get it. One day she said I'd rolled him out onto the front porch of his house in the shade where he could watch me weed the flower beds. I worked for a couple hours in the flower beds. He's sitting patiently in the wheelchair in the shade on the porch when I said, well, Dad, I guess I better fix us something for lunch. And he said, whatever you think, babe. I said, babe? He'd never call me anything but number two in my whole life. I wasn't sure I wanted to be babe, but it was better than number two. So I went inside and I fixed us some lunch. And after lunch in the late afternoon, I rolled him back out on the porch. We could see down to the edge of his property there. There's a little orchard. And there were two beautiful deer feeding underneath the trees. He loved seeing those deer. I said, Dad, while I was at the grocery store, I picked up some of those ice cream bars that you like. And he said, wonderful. My favorite. And when I brought one for him and one for me, he said, Margaret, you're so good to me. I thank you. You're so good to me. Margaret, he called me by my name. All these years, he knew my name. And never once had he called my name. And I said, Dad, going to do the best for you I possibly can. You and I have a father who knows our names, knows how many hairs we have on our head, knows when one sparrow falls to the ground and cares. Chesed, 
we Gentiles believe was made flesh in Christ Jesus our Lord. Number four, read just a little bit farther in chapter three of Lamentations and you see this. Let us test and examine our ways and this wonderful Hebrew word shub and return. Go back toward the Eye, Asher Eye, the I am who I am, the Lord God. Test, examine your ways, go back to the one who created you. Last Saturday, there was a wonderful article in the Tulsa World, an interview with our friend Rabbi Charles Sherman. He was being interviewed about the coming 10 most important religious days to observant Jews. It began this past Wednesday at sundown, Rosh Hashanah, the new year. And Rabbi Sherman did a wonderful job of explaining this to the religion editor of the Tulsa World. He reported it, I thought, really, really well. Rabbi Sherman said, when we come to Rosh Hashanah, it's the new year. But we don't celebrate New Year's at all like most people do. You remember December 31st. All the news channels are telling you, if you get too drunk... Be sure you have somebody to drive you home. If you get too drunk, call AAA and they'll come bring you a car trailing along behind. He didn't say that. I said that part. We don't do it like most people do New Year's, he said. The truth is, the Jews have never done it like most people. In biblical times, most people, the pagans, when they harvested their crops, they ate too much, drank too much, had sex with every man or woman in sight, and finally in an orgy at the end, they brought their king in on a, on a high chair and said, Behold our king, he is our God. And old Dr. Sigmund Movinkel in his two-volume commentary on Psalms said, The Jews, when they had harvested their crops realized that God was far more generous with them than they had been with God. It was a time for introspection. We have enough to get us through the winter. What good might I have done last year that I did not do? What harm did I do that I should not have done? Rabbi Sherman said, we ask God to put on his judicial roles and judge us to judge us what might we have done or not done that would have made last year better. Ten days culminating this coming Saturday in Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, when we ask God to move from the seat of judgment to the seat of mercy. For 24 hours, he said, we neither eat nor drink, we fast. Our people come to temple or synagogue, the biggest crowds of the year, to hear our story read, sung, preached. And at the end of the day, the sounding of the ram's horn. Two weeks ago, Gail and I went to Shalom Fest, as some of you did. I saw some of you there. After we had eaten, we went down the hallway and knocked on the rabbi's door. He let us come in for a few moments. He was getting ready to teach a class. Hanging on his wall, two magnificent curved ram's horns there. Right at the end of Yom Kippur, he said, we have a man, Mr. Cohen, Rick Cohen, who stands 
and plays blow as this magnificent ram's horn, the shofar. It is the exclamation point, the rabbi said. It means God Almighty has forgiven us. Our names are in the book of life. In a few moments, high up in the ceiling, you will not hear a ram's horn. You will hear a chime. And that chime says, the crucified one has come to the table. He's waiting for you.